The Siege of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book One, Plan B Revised. Chapter 14, Walnut Hill and Homecoming. I don't feel any perkier for having rested, Martin said as he slowly stood up, but we'd better get going. Only a few more miles to go. I suppose, but now we have to go up another hill? Yeah, I'm afraid the best is yet to come. Up ahead is the steep part to the top of Walnut Hill. My old two-wheel drive truck couldn't get up this stretch in the snow. I don't find that very encouraging. Oh, sorry. Uh, there's no snow now, so we'll make it up just fine. How is that? Susan glared at him and shook her head. His attempt at humor had failed yet again. No, that didn't work on me either. He passed her the water bottle. We'd better save a little for when we get to the top. As they neared the crest of the hill, Martin's legs ached, his shins in particular. Susan was taking slower, smaller steps. He noticed that he was taking smaller steps, too. <sighs> I can see why. My old truck... Didn't like this hill, he said between deep breaths. But we're doing better than my truck did. I never got it any higher than that driveway back there. How much farther to your house now, she asked. Three miles, maybe four. That doesn't sound as close as I had hoped it would, she said wearily. Know how you feel. But this here's the top. For real this time. We'd better take another break and catch our breath. Uh, there's a good spot. Bet you're thirsty, too. They sat on a low stone wall that bordered the yard of an old house with several ad hoc additions. While they finished off their water, they heard a woman singing softly. Around the corner of the garage came the singer with a plastic bucket. She was strewing food scraps into the yard. Greedy chickens were racing to get the best bits first, then running away lest another chicken steal their prize. Oh, hello, the woman said. I didn't notice you there. Oh, sorry. We're just taking a break from walking up that hill. Martin wanted to reassure the woman that they weren't trespassers. But don't worry, we'll, we'll be moving on real soon. Looking past the woman, Martin noticed a tall radio antenna in the backyard. Uh, excuse me, I just noticed that you have an antenna back there. Do you have a radio set, a, a transmitter? My husband does. Why? Martin explained about the old couple down the road and the carbon monoxide poisoning. She motioned for Martin and Susan to follow her behind the house. They came in the back door of an old kitchen. Walter, Walter, wake up, the woman called into the next room. Huh? Is it time? came a groggy reply. No, but get up anyhow. You need a radio for help. A man with tousled gray hair and rumpled clothes staggered into the doorframe. Yeah, what is it? Yeah, what's, what's the problem? The woman summarized quickly, then let Martin take over, telling of the old couple in the gray house. Do you think there's anyone in the area that might have oxygen, uh, medical tanks, or if not that, then maybe some for welding? Anything? Hmm. Might be a couple of people. Yeah, excuse me. Walter pushed between Martin and Susan and out the back door.
Through the walls came the muffled sound of a generator sputtering to life. Walter strode back in the house with the gait of a young man. He plopped down in a swiveling chair in front of several pieces of radio equipment that lined a bench and a shelf at the far end of the kitchen. After watching some gauge needles flicker for a moment, he fiddled with several of the knobs and muttered to himself about frequencies and bands. Yeah, yeah, there's a there's a guy down on Haverhill Road that hey, he monitors twenty. There's another guy down near Ordway. I, I've heard him watching six. I'll see if any of them are on. He cleared his throat and put the mic to his mouth. Uh, CQ, CQ, K1NTZ on Walnut Hill. Got a medical emergency. CQ, anyone in North Harstead? Uh, medical emergency. They heard nothing but static. Walter tuned to a different frequency. CQ, CQ, K1NTZ, Walnut Hill. Anyone in North Harstead on this frequency? CQ, medical emergency. Anyone monitoring in North Harstead? He listened to the static. He reached for the tuner, then a voice broke in. Uh, this is Tompkins, North Harstead. What is the nature of your emergency? Walter recounted what he had heard from Martin. Oh, cripes, said Tompkins. That's young Jim's folks. I know them. Uh, I don't have any oxygen, but the guy across the road from me, he still does some gas welding. Uh, I'll see if he's got any O2. Uh, over. The channel returned to soft static. Everyone in the kitchen stared at the radio. Martin caught a small movement out of the corner of his eye. A dark-haired woman sat at a small round table in the corner of the kitchen. He had missed her and the table when they came in. Uh, Walnut Hill, this is Tompkins. Sent my grandson across the road. Neighbor does have a tank of oxy. They're loading it up in his truck now. Gonna drive up with them to Jim's place. I'll go with them and report back later. Same channel, Tompkins out. Well, sounds like help is on the way. Walter flicked off the power switch to his equipment and leaned back in his chair. Yeah, they'll have to rig up something for breathing masks once they get there, but anybody still doing oxy-welding tends to be a make-things-work kind of guy. Yeah, might not be hospital official, but it's something anyhow, added Martin. Thanks for calling for help. Yeah, no problem, said Walter. Yeah, you see there, Sally? All this stuff <laughs> might have saved them people's lives. Yes, dear, Sally said patronizingly. Yeah, darn right, yes, dear said Walter. He pushed himself up out of his chair. I see it's not too long before three o'clock. Gonna switch the gen to charge some batteries for a few minutes rather than restart it. Yeah, be right back. With that, Walter toddled out the back door, steadying himself on the chair backs and countertops. With the rush of the moment past, Martin glanced around the kitchen. It had been state-of-the-art when it was new in the 1950s, a proud 20th-century modernization of a 19th-century farmhouse. The kitchen was small and tidy, but had clearly seen heavy use. Well, thanks for helping. I guess we should be going. But uh, could we ask you for some water first? Martin asked. Oh, of course. Give me your water bottle. Uh, how far do you have to go? Sally asked. Well, not far, Martin said. I live on Old Stockman Road. Well, that's still a bit of a hike from here. Sally pointed to the round table. This here's Holly, family friend. She lives up your way. I'm Sally, by the way. She ladled water from a large galvanized bucket into Martin's bottle. I'm Martin Simmons. This is Susan. 
Simmons? Holly tipped her head. On Old Stockman Road? Uh, yeah. Martin wondered if he knew this Holly, but he couldn't think of where. I'm Holly Baldwin. We met a couple of years ago. I live in that old gray colonial on the other side of the hill from you. You and my husband, Mickey, were talking about that beaver dam problem in the swamp behind your place. Ah, yes. Martin's memory finally located her file. I think the beavers are still back there. I don't think I've ever met your wife, Holly said, glancing at Susan. Hi, said Susan. I'm Susan Price. I used to live in Boston, but my apartment burned down. Sir Martin offered to let me live with him. Her last few words struck Martin as sounding all wrong. He could feel his face getting warm. Is that how this is going to sound to everyone? I've invited an attractive young woman to come live with me? Oh, man, Margaret is going to kill me. He rushed in some disclaimers. Uh, yes, I figured she could stay with my wife, Margaret, and, uh, me, until the power comes back on. He turned to get his water bottle and conceal any obvious blushing. I see. Well, if you'd like a ride partway home, I have a friend meeting me outside in a few minutes. Oh, well, that would be great, Martin said. He felt relieved at the change of topic. We're both pretty wiped out by the walk from Boston. And maybe some monoxide from helping those people. Boston? asked Sally. Yes, said Susan. We met while Martin was walking home from work downtown. It's been quite a long trip, but we're almost done. Sally peered over Susan's shoulder, out the storm door. Uh-oh, here comes Walter. Better step aside. He's going on the air again. He's been doing this ever since the power went out. Top of the hour for three minutes. Fancies himself a newsman. Uh, ham radio? Martin asked. Sally nodded with the weariness of a golf widow. Would he mind if we stayed and listened in just for a couple of minutes? Pfft, mind? He loves showing off. He takes that ham part far too seriously. Well, just for a minute or so, Martin asked Holly. She acquiesced with a shrug. I'd like to hear what's going on out there, Martin said. Walter rushed through the storm door. Excuse me, excuse me, coming through. This young couple walked all the way from Boston, Sally told Walter as he brushed by her. Oh, uh, really? Uh, Boston? Curiosity replaced annoyance on Walter's face. Yeah, well, what did you see? Uh, I heard some stories about uh, riots and, and fights and, and roadblocks and checkpoints or something. Uh, did, you, did you see any of that? Uh, we did, Martin nodded. We didn't see any riots, but we heard of a few. We saw some fights. We encountered our first roadblock at 128. They were only letting through residents of Reading, Andover and such. We found a way around it, but then they were trying to block that off, too. There was something weird going on in the middle of Reading. Police and riot gear pulling people over. We didn't stay to find out what that was all about. We saw another roadblock at 495. They let people through if they lived in Lawrence. We had to take a long way around that one, too. Uh, police? Walter asked. Well, most were state troopers, some local police, but we did see some National Guard on 495. They said their job was to keep 495 clear. Well, why in blazes would they be blocking the roads? Martin could only shrug and shake his head. Walter glanced at the clock. Ah, shoot, it's nearly three o'clock. Gotta get on the air. Excuse me. Walter slid into his desk chair and flicked his equipment back on. He fussed with the knobs, listening with one ear to the static. He cleared his throat, 
and brought the mic to his lips. CQ, CQ, K1 in TZ on the air at the top of the hour. CQ, CQ. Walter leaned back and listened to the light static. He fiddled with the knobs a bit more. The speaker crackled. K-A-1, Y-R-K, evening, old man. Evening yourself, Ray. You're coming in five by nine tonight. Did you fix that antenna? Ah, uh, kind of, sort of. Actually, it wasn't the antenna proper, but some bad connectors. Walter took a deep breath and put the mic to his mouth, but the speaker crackled again. N-1-W-G-F. K-1-N-T-Z. Evening, Joyce. Looks like you're buying the donuts again. Got Ray on the air already. Over. K-A-1-Y-R-K to Donut Lady. Evening, Joyce. Pumpkin spice, please. Oh, shoot, said Joyce. I gotta set my clocks ahead or something. I owe you guys too many donuts already. Well, we might not get eyes on for a while, Y-L, said Walter. So don't you fret. Score might even out before this is all done. Uh, anything new, Joyce? Okay, I'll go first. Second hand, Area 3. Contact in Maryland reports D.C. still under lockdown. Tense protests, but no riots. Government issued statements, but nothing new in them. More comments against the Russians than the Chinese today. Only two on terrorists. Heard there's supposed to be some big meeting with the FEMA director, Homeland Security, and somebody else. They didn't say who. No word on when. Unclear if the Prez is still in D.C. or bunkered or what. Over. This is Ray. Any updates on those riots, Joyce? A little. Lockdown in New York extended to Staten Island and all of Nassau County. Fires are worse in Chicago. Sounds like the protest in Philly went bad. Twenty or so dead. The governor sent in the guard. Things are worse in Baltimore. The police pulled back, abandoned the whole riot area. Oh, lots of fires. Over. What about your local, Joyce? Asked Ray. I've been hearing about roadblocks. Uh, can you confirm? Roger that, Ray. First hand, this morning. Mass State Troopers closed the border on 93, just south of Exit 1. Seen it myself. They're letting some people through, but most not. I have no idea why. Joyce, uh, this is Walter. I got a couple here at my QTH that confirm. They report roadblocks at some of the major intersections at Mass. Troopers, National Guard, some allowing residents into blocked areas. Uh, over. Residents only, huh? Well, that matches the report I heard out of Salem. Some people are stuck at the border on 93. Contact in Tingsboro says same for Route 3, too. Lots of people were trying to head south. Hundreds are sleeping in their cars, waiting to get through. Some set up tents in the median. Uh, no word on when the border will be open. Over. Uh, K1NTZ. Thanks, Joyce. Uh, any news from up your way, Ray? Over. Uh, not much. Marine traffic pretty much stopped now. Two new ships arrived, anchored offshore. Nothing moving in port, no offloading or loading either. Folks pretty much just waiting it out here. Yeah, thanks, Ray. Uh, we only got a minute or so left for this session, so uh, let's do our BBS. Uh, you first, Ray. Anything new? Uh, yeah, I got two new ones to pass along. Area 1, ARL-23W, K4VGM, 2M Scully, Hartford, Connecticut. From Little Teapot, we have Graham at Summer House. All good. Come when you can. To Ali Jafarian, Halifax, Virginia. From Marcus, T 
TT did not make it. We'll bury here. Can't come. That's it, Walter. Over. Copy, Ray. Uh, got any new BBS posts, Joyce? Asked Walter while he finished writing down the messages on a notepad. Roger, Walter. I got one for each of you. Both in area. For Ray, to pass on up. Area 5, ARL 312W. N1, TFN. 2, A. Leishness, Portland, Maine. From Duck Buddy. Heather had baby boy. Stephen, all okay. Cannot travel now. And a new one for you too, Walter. ARL 15W. K4 QEC. 2 B. Hillard. Hooks it. From Missy and kids. All okay, but car broke. Can't come as planned. We'll go to Uncle Eli's. That's all from me, Walter. Over. Well, uh, I don't have any, began Walter. Um, Susan touched his shoulder. Could I send a message? Uh, sure, Walter said softly. Uh, hold on a sec, Joyce. Roger, holding. Walter turned in his chair. Okay, uh, who do you want to send it to? Uh, to my dad, Mr. David Price, 1212 Kramer Street in Lakeview, Ohio. Tell him his daughter Susan is okay and staying in Cheshire, New Hampshire. Well, Walter said, for security reasons, we try not to use whole names and don't include locations others could recognize since they'll get posted on a public bulletin board. Safer to keep things kind of cryptic. Is there something personal that only your D. Price in Lakeview would recognize as coming from you? Susan's brow knit as she stared out the window for a long moment. Okay, how's this? To D. Price, Lakeview, Ohio. Pixie found a place. Martin turned and smiled. Pixie? Susan squirmed. It's a long story. Never mind. Will that work okay, Walter? Walter nodded and turned back to his microphone. K1 in TZ. Uh, one more BBS for you, Joyce. For Area 8, ARL4W. K1 in TZ. 2 D. Price, Lakeview, Ohio. Pixie found a place. Over. Got it, Walter. We'll pass along to the next contact with area. I see our time's up. 73s, gentlemen. N1WGF, clear. Ray keyed back in. I won't be on at six, Walter. I'm going to see if I can work some skips tonight. Let you know tomorrow if I get anything useful for news. KA1YRK, out. Ah, good night, Ray. K1NTZ, clear. Walter leaned forward and powered down his equipment. He slumped back in his chair for a long sigh, then pushed himself up from the chair. It'll probably take a couple of days before your message gets posted around Lakeview, young lady, uh, but it'll get there. Walter toddled unsteadily outside. The drone of the generator rumbled down to silence. He shuffled back into the kitchen, looking more stooped and tired than before. Well, folks, th this old man is feeling kind of beat. I'm going to go finish my lie down. Nice meeting you two. Yeah, thanks for the news update. Uh, Holly, thanks for the meds. Headache's gone. Sally, you make sure I'm up by a quarter to six this time, okay? I don't want to miss the contacts. Might work me some skips tonight, too. You go rest on the couch, dear, said Sally. Walter disappeared into the flickering firelight of the living room. I have half a mind to forget to tell him and let him sleep, 
Sally whispered. He's been taking this newsman thing far too seriously. Holly leaned back to look at the wall clock. Uh-oh, five after. I told Jen I'd be out by the road at three. You two better gather up your things. Thanks for the tea, Sally. I'll come back in a couple of days and see if you need anything else. Oh, you're such a dear. Sally patted Holly's shoulder. You two take care now and, and get home safe. Martin and Susan waved as they stepped out the door. In the grassy shoulder of the road stood a dark brown horse, fidgeting nervously. It was rigged up to a two-wheel cart made of thin black tubing, all painted black. It was a minimalist buggy, with a pair of wire-spoked wheels and thin tires like a moped might have. A plain woman in a brown barn coat and a beret pulled down over short curly gray hair sat on the thin bench seat, holding the reins. "'Hi, Jen,' Holly called out. "'Thanks for waiting.' Walter was on his radio again. Think Jasmine could handle a couple more passengers? Jen looked skeptical. I don't know. Uh, she's not all that used to this trap yet. Uh, I guess we can try. Jen pointed to the small, thin bench. There's a package shelf back here. Uh, I think you two could sit on it if you hold on to the bench back. Uh, you'll have to dangle your legs. That's the best I can do. Trap's only made for two. Oh, that's okay, Martin said. Uh, this'll be great. He and Susan took a seat. The package shell felt precarious at best. Holding on was not an option. Martin curled one arm around the top tube of the bench. He held the roller bag handle in his other hand so it could trail along behind them. No new messages from Walter to post in town? Jen asked. Holly shook her head. Jen flicked the reins. Okay, girl. The horse jerked forward and seemed to want to veer left and right. Jen spoke softly and worked the reins. I've only had Jasmine on this trap a couple of times before all this. She's doing pretty good for only her third time, but she's still not comfortable with it. Yeah, the road is mostly downhill from Sally's place, so we'll be okay that far. Uh, I'm not sure how she'll handle the extra load as we're going up Wilson Hill. Yeah, just have to play it by ear, I guess. Jen chuckled. Yeah, we're both learning this rig. Oh, when I first saw you on this thing, Holly said, I thought it was adorable. You look like something from an old postcard. Now it looks pretty darn handy. Yeah, since Robert's not back from Concord with the truck, I thought it would be a perfect opportunity to take her out for real, get some distance practice. The Colliffs are doing pretty good, by the way, considering. They really appreciated my visit. The two of them continued to share news of people that they had visited. They were all people Martin didn't know, so his attention wandered. He watched the roller bag trundling and hopping behind them. He hoped the improvised bigger wheels could handle the speed. He glanced at Susan, who was watching the trees go by. Their trek was nearly done. Soon he would have to introduce Susan to Margaret and explain how he offered up their home without consulting her first. But then, how could he have? He wanted to imagine a happy meeting with generous hospitality, but that felt like a fool's optimism. Years ago, Margaret was none too happy with him when he brought home that little homeless kitten. She didn't want a cat, and he had decided to adopt it without consulting her. That was what rankled her more than adding a cat to the family. It took a long time for that ice to melt. Susan would be Cat 2.0, and a much bigger deal. One does not simply graft a pretty young woman into the family. Hi, honey, look what I found. Yeah, Martin shuddered. The fine factor would reach toxic levels. He was doomed.
Martin wondered what Siberia might be like. On the other hand, Margaret did eventually warm up to the kitten. Those big, cute eyes finally melted the ice. Pudge even became Margaret's faithful lap buddy. Perhaps Susan's natural charm would win Margaret over, too. Martin's gloom was fading. Maybe the two women would become friends. Well, not best friends, perhaps, but at least cordial. Margaret might take Susan under her wing and teach her cooking and canning. Martin tried to figure out words of introduction that didn't sound like they had brought home another cute orphan, which was pretty much what he had done. He recalled that Margaret's feelings about the cat turned a corner when the kitten got a cute name, and not just that cat. It was harder to resent a newcomer named Pudge. Uh, Susan, that's too silky of a name, he thought. It's almost sultry. Guests shouldn't have sultry names. What if Susan had a cute nickname like uh, Susie or Missy? Maybe Button. How can anyone be angry with anyone nicknamed Button? What was that pixie thing all about, Martin wondered. So, he asked, without taking his eyes off of the trundling roller bag, was it a school play? What? Susan was lost in her own thoughts. Pixie, character in a class play or something? Susan rolled her eyes. Didn't I say never mind? Well, yeah, Martin said slowly. Now here's the one with the frog in his pocket. The trees still had most of their colorful leaves, so he could only get brief glimpses of the swamp or meadows beyond the woods. Nah, Pixie is too childish. Maybe shorten it to Picks. He imagined Margaret calling out from the kitchen. Picks, could you help me knead this dough? Yeah, that could work. Picks, that's not sultry. Uh, a Halloween costume, maybe. Susan leveled a glare at him. You aren't going to leave it alone, are you? Martin could not completely suppress a smile. Well, I could keep guessing. Susan sighed. I suppose you would, too. Martin smiled. She shook her head in resignation. All right, but you can't tell anyone. It goes back to when I was six. I was playing with my pixie dolls out in the woods behind our house. I was their pixie mother, you see, and... Ah, this sounds so stupid when I say it out loud. Well, that's okay. Kids play games, Martin comforted. Uh, what did you do in the woods? Well, I was making a little house out of sticks for my pixie dolls. I wanted to make special beds for them, using the soft moss I had found. I needed more moss, since I had three pixie dolls. So I took my pixies in my arm, and we went looking for more moss. And you wandered out of familiar territory? Susan nodded. From where I was building my pixie home, I could clearly see my house. Once I was over the hill, though, I lost track of where I was. Too focused on finding moss, I guess. Well, this big storm came up fast. I didn't notice it until it got really dark and windy. It started to rain. When the lightning started, I ran as fast as I could down the hill. I thought I was running toward my house, but my house wasn't there. I knew I was lost. You must have been pretty scared, huh? Well, actually, no. I was being the brave mother, too busy telling my pixies not to be scared. Martin could see that her pioneer spirit had been there since childhood. How could Margaret not be charmed by Susan? I came across this little house. It was like a doghouse, only a bit bigger. It had a little door, so I went in. It was dark inside, but a little light came through the cracks between the boards. It had a big motor thing in the middle, and, and I jumped when it started up the first time. 
but it wasn't bad once I got used to it. The rain got really heavy. I kept telling my pixies that they would be okay. I found a nice dry place for them where they would be safe. The motor thing got warm, so it was actually pretty comfortable in there. It got dark outside, and I got sleepy. So I curled up with my pixies on a squashed cardboard box and fell asleep. Ah, you do have a knack for falling asleep during a crisis, Martin quipped. Oh, stop it. She tried to slap him on the shoulder, but her free arm wouldn't reach him. Go on with your story. You fell asleep in what I gather was a pump house. Did you sleep there all night? I did. My parents were out in the storm looking for me, calling my name. But with the noise of that motor, I didn't hear anything. In the morning, the door opened and my dad looked inside. He got on his knees and cried. Oh, I felt really bad. I tried to tell him not to cry, that we were all okay. I told him that I was a good pixie mother and I found my pixies a safe place. So that's what your message meant. You found a safe place from the storm. Susan nodded. I'm sure he's worried about me. That's what he does best, I think. He'll know the message was from me. I only hope it reassures him. He never let me forget that night, you know. It took years before Mom and Dad would let me out of their sight, always hovering over me. I felt so bad that I made my dad cry. I tried to make it up to him by never doing anything that would ever scare him. Always be safe, you know, for him. Martin looked at her, expecting more. That's all, she said. And you can't tell anyone about it. My dad uses that pixie name on me whenever he's worried about me, which is most of the time. I don't want you or anyone else latching on to it, thinking it's a cute nickname or anything, because it isn't. Promise me you won't tell anyone. You have to promise. Martin smiled. Promise? Inwardly, though, he thought, it might leak out somehow. It's cute, like Pudge. And, she added with emphasis, you have to tell me some embarrassing story from your childhood, too, so I have some leverage to keep you honest. Martin smiled, but cringed inside. He had done so many stupid things as a child. Where to begin? Saving rabbit eggs in his sock drawer? incubating them with his desk lamp. The stink never came out of his socks. Or that time in the first grade when he and his cousin Pam took all their clothes off under the rhododendron so they could play Tarzan and Jane. No, no one ever let them live that down. Or his bike with the cardboard wings on the shed roof. It really did seem like a good idea at the time. No, blackmailing him into silence wouldn't be difficult. The trap jerked and faltered. Jasmine whinnied and reared. Jen had her hands full, trying to calm the horse. "'I'm afraid we're too heavy for her,' Jen said. "'Sorry to say, you two will have to walk up the hill on your own.' She pulled up Jasmine to an unsteady halt. Martin Susan stood up off the shelf, his arm hurt from the sustained grip. Holly stepped down, too, and faced Martin and Susan. "'I was thinking of taking my little backroad shortcut anyhow.' It's just a little ways up ahead there. See that split-rail fence? I usually take it to avoid walking up either Stockman or Wilson Hills. You can come with me, or go up and meet Jen at the top of the hill. Martin glanced at Jen, who was trying to calm down her skittery horse. Ah, shortcut sounds good to me. Jasmine doesn't look too happy. How about you? he asked Susan. Feel up to a bit more walking? I suppose... Holly raised her voice to be heard over the hoof clatter. 
"'Tell you what, Jen, we are going to take the back road from here. You go on without us.' "'Are you sure? Uh, we could wait for you up at the top. I'm sure she'll settle down and behave the rest of the way.' "'That's okay. Thanks so much for the ride.' "'All righty, then,' Jen said. "'See you Friday at the meeting.' "'Yes, Friday,' Holly waved as Jen got Jasmine started on an erratic trot. Holly turned to Martin and Susan. "'Well, that was fun, eh?' They both nodded. Jen's place is on the other side of Stockman Hill. If we rode to her house, we'd have to walk up and over. I'm not feeling like doing that today. Well, me either, Martin could sympathize. He had walked that road many times, coming back from the little general store. It could be a wearying hill, even when you were feeling fresh. Walnut Hill and the monoxide had consumed any freshness he might have had. The shortcut was little more than an ATV trail through the woods. Uh, your shortcut isn't much of a road, Martin said. He and Susan were acting as stretcher-bearers for the roller bag again. No, not any more. But back in the day, this was the road. Horses hauling freight wagons from the east would take this way so that they could skirt around Stockman Hill on their way to town. Once cars and trucks came along, the road just went up and over the hill. Nowadays, only a few dirt bikes and hikers use this old road, but, like I said, it saves me walking up and down those two hills, so I like it. So, uh, how have you and Mickey been handling the power outage? Martin asked. Oh, taking it in stride, I guess, Holly said. We could always use a few more supplies. Oh, that reminds me. I have a friend who is a checker at the market basket over in Bondiville. When the power went out, the manager closed the store right away. So, it didn't get cleaned out like Walmart, Hannaford, or Shaw's did. Well, he's going to reopen tomorrow morning. I'm going early to get in line. I'm sure that market basket will get picked clean, too, probably before the end of the day. Uh, what time will the store open? Martin asked. His truck was parked near that store. He didn't know what supplies his house might need, but he was sure there was something. She told me nine o'clock. Well, thanks. I just might be there. You probably haven't heard about the special town meeting then either, Holly said. There's a sign up at the center of town. The selectmen are holding a special meeting at town hall on Friday. An informational thing, I guess. Martin had an automatic aversion to town politics. The petty egos and sandbox power plays of the previous town he lived in seemed to better fit the biblical expression brood of vipers than democracy in action. Holly must have seen the disdain on his face. Oh, come now, our little town's got a bit of a crisis on its hands. Cheshire residents need to step up and help each other. Martin knew she was right, but could not imagine what good could possibly come from his participation. He rather liked his civic wallflower status. Fewer vipers. Besides, Holly continued, with phones out and TV out, it'll be the best place to find out what's going on around here. Well, I suppose, Martin said reluctantly. Again, she was right, but visions of new vipers dampened any enthusiasm he might have felt. Ah, see, Holly pointed ahead of them. Stockman Road. That wasn't so bad, eh? Once on the pavement again, Martin could pull the roller bag alone and give Susan a break. She was starting to limp again. That's my house, Holly said. Do you want to come in for some water or a snack? Uh, no, but thanks, Martin said. 
In truth, his stomach rumbled at the suggestion of a snack. I appreciate the offer, but I'd rather get home as quickly as I can. Oh, I understand. If you go up and past my barn and over the meadow, you'll save a quarter mile of walking. Oh, thanks. Martin and Susan waved as Holly pressed on down the road toward her house. The two of them turned onto the dirt driveway that led to the barn. The tall meadow grass was tan and gold. Colorful maples and oaks lined the meadow. Leaves of the autumnberry trees were still a lush green. Martin found a few bushes that were still loaded with berries. He was not fond of crunching on the seeds, but he was too hungry to care. He raked off a big handful of berries. Susan gasped. <gasps> Aren't those poisonous? Uh, no, Martin stuffed in his handful. They're a little bland, but they're okay. He knew it was tacky to talk with his mouthful. Susan skeptically bit into one of them and looked in the distance, as if expecting to feel something. Martin's driveway was directly across Old Stockman Road from the Baldwin's Meadow. He offered Susan half of his second handful of berries. They're okay, really, Martin said. Margaret makes jam and stuff out of them. He stretched out his arms toward his house. Man, I can't tell you how great it feels to be back home. He climbed the stone steps to the front walk. I just want to sit in my comfy chair, buy my cozy fire, and sleep for a week, he said. Susan lingered at the bottom of the steps, securing a duffel bag that had worked itself loose. Margaret threw open the door. Martin, it was you. You made it. She ran up to him, but stopped short, aborting a hug. Ew, you're all dirty and bristly. What did you do? And what did you do to your jacket? Uh, that's kind of a long story. Margaret rolled her eyes. I suppose I can fix your jacket. I'll just have to give it a darn good cleaning first. Were you rolling in the mud or what? Margaret took a deep breath and launched into a rapid-fire update. Anyhow, I got your message and sent one back, but then there was no signal. I was going to tell you that I had things working pretty good since the power went out, but yesterday the generator just died while I was running it for half an hour to keep the fridge cold, but it just conked out, and I couldn't get it started again. But I remembered what you said about the spark plug getting fouled if the choke was partially on, so I got the spark plug wrench from your workbench. You really are going to have to clean up that workbench. It took almost forever to find anything. I don't know how you can work in a space like that. So it was the spark plug? Martin asked. Yes, I took the spark plug out, cleaned it, and sure enough, it started right up, and I was so glad because I really needed to run the blender just a little more to finish up processing some of those berries, which reminds me that we still need to get out there and pick the rest of them before we get a real frost and... <gasps> Wait, Margaret interrupted herself. I heard you talking. Why were you talking as you came up to the house? Susan stepped sideways to make herself more visible at the bottom of the stone steps. Oh, hello. Margaret was taken aback for a moment. She looked at Martin. Her eyes expected an explanation. Uh, Margaret, this is Susan Price. Susan, Margaret. Susan works for Bank of Boston downtown. I met her while I was walking home. You know, when the power went out, her house was destroyed in a fire, and she had nowhere else to stay. So I thought, well, Lindsay's room is empty, and, uh... He didn't sound as self-assured and casual as he had hoped he would. Susan stepped up the stairs with her hand out for a handshake. I thought it was so kind of your husband to offer some help. I really had nowhere to stay, and the hotels I tried were either full or damaged. 
Martin appreciated Susan's tact at calling him her husband instead of using his first name. That would have sounded far too familiar. Nonetheless, there was a long silence while Margaret took in this clearly unexpected development. No problem, Margaret said flatly as she shook Susan's hand. I'm glad my husband was able to help a stranger in need. She gave Martin a firm look that said his explanation was insufficient before looking back to Susan with her hostess smile. Her emphasis on husband was a gentle territorial challenge. The emphasis on stranger signaled the category she expected Susan to fit into. I do appreciate your kindness, Susan added, with the emphasis on your. That was a good touch, Martin thought. Margaret, cast in the role of generous hostess, was far better than him having a woman stay with him. The two women walked ahead of Martin up the walk. He pulled the roller bag. Martin was relieved that they were getting along fairly well for their first meeting. Margaret was being politely territorial. Susan was being especially tactful. Things were cordial. Perhaps he had worried too much for nothing. Hopefully the power will come back on soon, and I won't have to stay long, Susan said. I don't want to be a burden. Margaret held the door for Susan. Oh, I'm sure everything will be fine. Fine. Martin's fragile hopes for peace had crumbled. That dreaded word came up during their first minute together. Two hens in a nest. He was doomed. And that's the end of book one. Thanks for listening. <laughs>